This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. All right, well, it seems like for the Islanders here, Chris, it seems like when you're scaling a mountain, I don't know for any of you that have ever climbed mountains or rock climbing, it seems like when you get up like 15 to 20% of the way and you're like, wow, I feel like I've, I've already started to climb a lot and you look down and you go, oh, actually, I have come a long way. And then you look back up and you go, holy shit, I still have so long to go here. That's what it feels like for the Islanders here as they – Beat up on the Flyers once again. They're beating the bad teams they're supposed to beat. They've moved into sixth place in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, they're 14 points behind that that last wild card spot. But now it seems like here as they're, I believe, 10-4-1 in their last 15 games, now we need to start to see them beat the good teams. Now we need to start to see them beat the teams we thought they could beat when the season started. Um, you know, every time they, they take a couple of steps forward in beating the teams they're supposed to beat, you go and you have a performance like they did over the weekend where they are thoroughly beaten yet again by Toronto. They were thoroughly beaten the Saturday before that against Washington. I don't know. Maybe we should just cancel all the rest of the games on the goddamn weekend for them because they can't win on Saturday. But beat up on Arizona, beat up on Philly a couple of times. They're doing what they're supposed to do coming out of this break here, and they've won five out of the last seven. But we know the schedule is not going to be the Philadelphia Flyers who have lost 13 straight games now uh, for the rest of the year. They're actually going to start to play some formidable opponents here to close out this home stretch. L.A., Minnesota, so and then they hit the road for the West Coast. So it's not going to it's not going to get any easier here. They've done, I feel like, what they should do, the baseline of what they should do. But again, we all had Stanley Cup aspirations for this team coming into the season. It's time now that they start taking it up another notch. Parise has been hot. He's starting to play well. Maddie's playing well. Uh, I think somebody that had carried them for so long now, Sorokin, the goaltending's been a little bit unsteady. And that worries me that, you know, there's still a decent amount of the season left to be played, but we're already creeping up on February here. You want to see this team clicking in all facets, Chris. Give me some re- – I'm usually the one giving you the optimism. Give me some optimism here to start this episode. Oh, geez. Well, I wasn't ready to do that because I don't have a lot right now for the simple fact, Pat, that they are not playing that well. Yes, they've gotten the wins. They won their scrimmage against the Phoenix Coyotes. They got by Philadelphia. The game on Tuesday night was pretty good because they showed something being down to zip as bad as that was and as bad as the flyers are i thought wow if you drop this one like you know why don't we just stop right now so they did show something coming back but i just you know when you think of the team that we saw the previous two seasons or even the season before that this hasn't been close to that in terms of execution, in terms of consistency, of commitment, passion, intensity, all those cliches. They are still not there. That doesn't mean they can't get there, but they better get there soon. And a pretty good test coming up now with L.A., which I'll be at that game on Thursday night. Seattle, who is playing better. They're playing better and they're getting some better goaltending. And Minnesota before they hit the road. 
Minnesota on that back-to-back on Sunday looks like a disaster, prove us wrong. Show your fans, show each other, show yourselves something different and have a strong game after you take care of Seattle, if you do, against Minnesota. That Sunday game against Minnesota, I really have my eyes on, Pat, because this team is just, they're still not not even close to being what they can be. No, they're not. And, of course, this is Islanders 4-Check, a bonus episode series of Hockey Press Pass. He's Chris Botta. Of course, I'm Pat Boyle. We will be joined by Adrian Acoin shortly here. Um, and, you know, you mentioned it. You know, another Saturday afternoon game with Seattle. You got to win that. I mean, you'd love, obviously, to go 2-0 and on a back-to-back. But you got to win at least one. You hope to take, at the minimum, three points. Maybe lose in overtime. But uh, the power play is has gone back to being just mediocre. And they give up, again, you know, what... what plagued them in the beginning of the season the shorthanded goals giving that up to Toronto so yeah I mean I, I think you're right it comes down to it they just don't have that identity of the team that we've come to love here the last two years so um <laughs> as much as we'd love to be optimistic coming out here not a ton uh, again they just they, they got to beat the good teams they got to just take it up to the next level they got to beat the good teams Chris and before we're joined by Adrian obviously a quick word here on a legend that we lost last week and Clark Gillies. And um, Chris, I figured I'd let you start this off here with a, a couple of words about the former Islanders captain. Yeah, uh, a few days later, and it, it doesn't get any easier for anybody in Islanders country. Clark's teammates, of course, his family, his fans, his friends, uh, which are countless. You know, the, it's so sad. It was so sudden and unexpected uh, at too young an age. But what really, if anything nice that's come out of these last few days is all the back page coverage in Newsday and all the attention that his life is getting and how much it's being celebrated. Because I think there are a lot of people who just don't realize how much Clark impacted this community, not just winning those Stanley Cups, but him and Nystrom, they're in two separate, they're, they're the two guys who are in their own category. We get it. Bossy, Trache, Potvin, Smith are kind of the legends and Hall of Famers. Clark, he's a Hall of Famer too. But Nystrom and Gillies are the two guys who have stayed on Long Island who've done so much for charity, so much for youth hockey, so much for the, the teams as they've come up uh, through the years. You talk to the current Islanders, they have glowing things to say about how they're kind of the welcome wagon for Long Island. You talk uh, to players like Adrian, as we will very shortly, and they'll tell you about what it meant to meet them and kind of be guided by them and just become friends with them and laugh with them. So I love the fact that he's being celebrated so much uh, because his impact is, it was probably actually understated, uh, but we are going to continue to learn in the days ahead um, as he continues to be mourned and rejoiced in, in terms of the impact he made, just just what he meant to this island and also to this franchise. Yeah, I thought the pregame ceremony and the moment of silence the other day was, was phenomenal. It was awesome. And yeah, just a, a legend law. So we will be joined, speaking of which, as you mentioned, by Adrian Acoin. Coming up next, this is Islanders 4-Check, bonus series of Hockey Press Pass. Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, we have it all. 
Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Our Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. Back on Islanders 4Check. I'm really pleased and proud to having uh, join us as a guest, Adriana Coyne, former Islanders defenseman, defenseman in the NHL of over 1,100 games, big part of the Islanders' revitalization in 2001, 2002, and three and four, and so on. And it's just so great to say hello. How are you doing, Adrian? I'm doing great, Bots. Glad to uh, glad to help out here. Thanks, man. Thanks, thanks so much for doing this. You know, I first asked you to come on, uh, and then we learned of Clark Gilly's passing. I know, you know, the impact that he's made, but I think it would be great to get your take on, you know, certainly your thoughts on Clark and and your experience with him when you were on the island with him. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a sad, sad day for sure. Um, it's amazing, right? I, I grew up in Ottawa. I was born in Ottawa and then moved around. My dad was in the Air Force. And when I came back to Ottawa in 1980, um, you know, it just so happens that's when they went on their run. Um, I grew up a Montreal Canadiens fan. I loved, you know, Guy Lafleur, Larry Robinson, and all of a sudden the 80s hit. And truth be told, my best hockey memories as a kid were watching the Islanders. And I had the Islander pajamas, the Islander, uh, you know, bed sheets. Um, my two guys were obviously, uh, Clarkie for sure. And I love Bobby Nye and it was, uh, probably easily one of my most, um, cherished off ice moments was meeting those guys for the first time, you know, coming up with the Islanders, uh, sorry, coming up with Vancouver. I'm obviously a great tradition there, but obviously not the level of championship teams that the Islanders had in the hall of famers and such. So. Um, I was definitely like a, a, a giddy little child when I met them. And as we all know, Clarkie has a, a very special way of making you feel comfortable. And, um, you know, Nye was, Nye was exactly like I assumed, you know, very just stoic. And Clarkie would come in with his little chuckle and he was always around. And we didn't have as many alumni. I mean, we had, uh, uh, you know, Stan the Steamer, Schmiel with the Islanders, who was around quite a bit. But, uh, sorry, I keep saying that with, with Vancouver. But when I got to the island to have those true real Hall of Famers like that, and they were always around, and Clark Hughes, just, he really was the best. And, of course, he had no uh, no problems sharing some awesome off-ice and on-ice stories and going back to the cup runs and everything. It was just, like I said, it was, like, so amazing just to sit back and listen to them talk. When you, uh, Adrian, when you watched Clark play uh, growing up, I know you were – you know, fairly young, but you know, I think you saw the those those four cup runs. What was your favorite part about his game growing up, and or you know, really, or anybody on the Islanders that you took inspiration from? What was your favorite part of watching him play? Well, you know, it's funny because my most memorable part was probably watching these guys skate around without helmets, even though you know a lot of guys did for some reason, just the way they the way the Islanders won their cups, you know, with Bobby's nice, his game winning goal, the one game. Um, and Clarkie, he, he just seemed so much bigger and stronger and confident out there. And even as, you know, at that time I was probably seven turning eight years old. I realized that back then, 
And I remember for some reason, I thought number nine was the coolest number. I thought this big lug skating around with a beard beating the crap out of guys was awesome. And, you know, they really, of course, they were all tough, but he was kind of that leader with the team toughness, you know, and it's funny because I even coach um, all of my kids' hockey teams and we talk a lot about not obviously toughness like back in the 80s, but, you know, a team toughness of standing up for each other and doing the right thing. And I honestly, from my recollection of the first time I've actually understood what that was, was watching the Islanders play with Clarkey. Well put. Uh, and lastly, on on that, did uh, did you have a personal interaction? I mean, I know you both liked uh, golf, or you both liked to have fun and laugh a little bit. But do you remember any uh, particular or general uh, interactions that you had with Clark? Yeah, well, uh, one of them was we did a booster club. Um, I don't know if it was a luncheon or something, and then the the, the lunch was over, and he's like, "All right, well, I think it was." A bunch of us young guys like, all right, we'll see you later. And he looked at us. He's like, what do you mean see you later? This isn't what we do at Booster Club. Like, we stick around all night. We keep going and we have fun. And I was like, well, you know, Clark, he's not the 80s anymore. You know, like we got to like watch what we eat and all this. And he was like, come on, it's still hockey. And then um, one of my other favorite stories I like to tell is um, I did, was lucky enough to be a part of one of his charity golf tournaments. And it was, it was amazing. And I, you know, especially a young hockey player in Canada, I got to do hundreds of them but it truly was the most first class tournament I've ever been involved with. He had the biggest and nicest, like every celebrity that was there was the nicest people. They all stuck around till like two in the morning. Everybody hung out. Every had fun. Everybody had fun. And I think just that one weekend alone raised, I think over $400,000 for his charity, which was truly incredible. So it was, it was amazing. That's Clark Ellis. Thank you uh, yep. so much for sharing. I, I know one thing that Clark would be saying uh, if he could listen in on all these celebrations, he'd also be saying, yeah, but let's get back to the game. Let's get back uh, to the to the yep. team. I yep. loved it so much. We, we saw him at UBS and for the opening game. So uh, while we have you, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, you've got to see the team just as you revitalized it in a big way 20 years ago with your teammates. Uh, this group uh, got a couple of playoff rounds, got to a conference final. Then this year between COVID and early season struggles, they're starting to fight their way back. But yep. what are your th thoughts on the current state of the New York Islanders? Uh, I really like the team. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Hockey is a very tough sport. Um, and one of the toughest jobs in hockey is coaching. And uh, I, I actually don't even know if I've ever met Barry Trotz personally, but he's one of the coaches that I don't think I've ever heard anything bad about, which says a lot because obviously people criticize. It's easy to criticize, right? Any pro sport. Um, but I do still have some friends that are involved with the team, you know, like Eric Karens who runs the development and all that. And the stuff that he tells me about him, because I like to talk to other coaches and development still, because I do coach my kids and um, it's just so matter of factual and stuff. He's there's, there's, there's no hidden agenda. Um, there's no secrets. You know, he basically laid it on the line, keeps it simple as for everyone. And you could see the effect he had right when he took over the Island. It was amazing. Obviously this year, you know, the whole early COVID, it was kind of devastating. I mean, it's, you could tell the whole league finally fell into order after a while, but the Islanders for so long were, seemed to be the only team that was getting the brunt of it. Um, and they have you know, some amazing players. You got like Barzi and, you know, Bailey, who's been so good for so many years. And these guys in the back end are just like old school studs. It's, 
they're a fun team to watch. And I, I was hoping, I was hoping for better. And I think they're turning the corner for sure. Hopefully not too late, but they're, they're, they're truly a, a real good hockey team. Adrian, when you, when you look at this team, um, you know, as somebody that was an offensive defenseman like yourself, uh, what, were, what are your overall thoughts on, on Noah Dobson and what he does for this team? Well, you know, it's amazing because I don't get to watch as much hockey as I'd like because I'm gone at the rink with my kids most of the nights. Um, but that's a name that keeps popping up. And it, it's almost like these, you know, I'm sure most of these kids were studs when they were growing up. But as you know, defensemen in the NHL, unless you are super offensive, it is really hard to establish yourself as, you know, a young defenseman. So it takes a few years to get going and players like him, they just, you know what, they just do everything right. And they create some offense and they're a threat. And um, I like to think, you know, as a defenseman, you have to be very reliable. You have to um, take care of your own end, but if you can add up the offensive zone in the offensive zone and actually have the other team worried about when you're on the ice, it just not only, you know, makes the team better, but it creates so much opportunity for the forwards as well. You know, I, I was lucky because I played with so many good players early on. And, you know, just with joining the rush, and you don't even have to be the most skilled guy to, to skate hard up the ice and be an option. It just it just seems to open things up, and it, it truly helps the offense of the whole team, even if you're not necessarily involved. The revival of the Islanders 20 years ago uh, started in a big way with hiring of Peter Laviolette. And then one weekend, which which your acquisition, as much as Michael Pekka's, as much as Adrian, as much as Alexei Yashin's, or the pickup of Chris Osgood later on on the waiver wire was as important, as valuable, if not more, uh, than any of them. I'm wondering, where were you? I know where I was when we acquired you, but how did you get the news? Well, the, the kind of funny backstory is that was my year-end meeting with Tampa, who I played 20-some-odd games with, um, with Rick Dudley was like, we love you. We would never trade you. You're one of, I think at the time, I don't think, or maybe Habby Bullen just signed, but I might've been the highest paid player on that team or one of them anyways. And they're like, we're going to build like a rock solid decor around this. It's going to be great. And I, I love John Tortorella. He really had an appreciation for me. So things seem to be going in the right way in Tampa, which obviously they were, they ended up winning the cup a few years later. Um, the day of the draft, Crazily enough, my wife is like, I think you're going to get traded. And I'm like, no, like we talked about, you know, we've already had this discussion and, and she had this weird gut feeling and the phone rang. We were in my kitchen. So we're back in Ottawa for the summer. And it was uh, Rick Dudley. And he's like, Adrian, how are you? I'm like, oh, good. He's like, well, we've made a trade. I'm like, oh, great. And you were involved. Uh, I'd like to thank you for everything you've done. And you were a true professional. And I almost hung up and I was like, oh, wait a minute where did I get traded to? And he's like, the Islanders. And, and I'm very honest about this. My heart sunk. Like it was like Tampa was in 29th place. The Islanders were in 30th place. I just got traded a couple months earlier for the first time in my life. All I, you know, on bots, I told you this, I just remember, you know, being on the road team, checking into the Marriott, walking across the parking lots and that's all Coliseum where the weather was always crappy. I'm like, you know, and of course the Islanders at, previous years were not good and I'm like this is going to be a grind and I am you know very proud to say that it was probably the best thing that happened to me in my career not only that but my family like we had four you know three three playing years in a lockout year in, in Long Island and it was the, probably four of the best years of you know our lives maybe even our like career for sure.
I love to hear that. The start of 11, 1, 1, and 1, back when there were four categories. Um, how did it come to be? Was it just the, the magic of a new coach system, new players, talent, of course? But yeah. from your perspective, what do you remember about that moment? And keep in mind how much that meant because it was so soon after 9 11. Yeah, well, so of course, <clears throat> the way Lavi coached was almost cutting edge at the time. He was like all about pace and tempo and everybody joining the rush. And, you know, that's when Jersey was really good and they were locking down the neutral zone and they wanted to be bigger and a little stronger. And um, so we were kind of going against the grain a little bit. And then you take the group that we had. We had, you know, Yash, who was a disgruntled player on another team. Pekka was very similar in Buffalo. Um, Osgood, who, you know, was put on waivers, I believe, right, with Detroit. Um, so we had that core. Um, I don't think I was in that same situation then, but being traded for the second time basically in my career in the last few months, it was a little odd too. So uh, we just gelled in a hurry. And, you know, of course, you could argue that Yashin was an all a superstar, but we really didn't have any – let's just say complete thoroughbreds like guys who were like, Oh my God, this guy is going to score every shift, this guy. And then of course you had like Mark Parrish, Jason Blake, like Dave Scatcher, these guys that were going to score 20 goals like every year for those few years. It was always, there was always a threat on the back end, you know, between Kenny Johnson, who's still probably the most underrated defenseman to play the game. You had Hammerlick who was, you know, such a high traffic. So you knew he was good. And then all of a sudden these other D men started popping up and, you know, getting better and, you know, honestly, I wasn't awesome before I got there and they saw something in me and the way my play just kind of came along. We just got better and better and better. It happened literally almost overnight. You started to, you mentioned a few of them in passing, but you look back at the, the defenders who you know were kind of the core guys in addition to Kenzie as well. Yeah. Um, and you had the Dick Tarms, Tar, Dick Tarnstrom yep. running in and out, and yep. and uh, uh, just some guys. I was like, wow, I forgot they played. But yep. I'm going to talk core. You had Hamlet, Kenny Johnson, Yanni Ninema uh, came yep. in eventually, uh, and also Radic Martinek, who yep. might have been as. If hopefully none of the other guys are listening as good as those other guys with you. So, but what do you think about those defenders who were with you as part of that group during those years? Well, it's funny. I, a few years ago, so my third year there, Jeff Jackson took over as a D man coach and which was a challenge for him because he had been the head coach in college for so many years. There's quite a transition, not a jumping to the NHL, but B, you know, dealing with, I guess four defensemen who were playing high 20 minutes a night. And he reminded me, he goes, yeah, we used to call you the United nations. Cause we had, you know, a Canadian kid, a Finnish kid, a Czech kid, a, you know, a, um, a Swedish kid. Like we had kids from everywhere. Um, but we were good. You know, like I said, you, you, you nailed it. Like Radic Martinick, who's not probably a household name, except on the Island. He was one of the best conditioned athletes I've ever played with. You know, he was fearless. He used to get hit hard because he was so fearless, but he played so well. Like Eric Cairns, obviously one of the toughest guys I've ever played with, but probably one of the smartest hockey players I've played with. You know, he probably didn't have the skill that matched it, obviously, because he would go out there and beat the crap out of everybody. Um, but he was my roommate, and it just, like I said, there was like a perfect marriage. And then 
of course, Kenny Johnson, what, like, what can you not say about him? He just was so, the game was so easy for him. It was almost obnoxious how like simple it was and how he understood it and how easy it was. And then you mix that with Hammerlick and Minima. These two guys were like offense and driven and they, they played a rough style game. Like we just were not a fun group to play against back there. Adrian, I was watching some, some highlights uh, of yours before, um, you know, earlier today. And I remember the 2004 NHL all-star game. Yeah, the, it was the hardest shot competition. Yeah. You ripped one 103 basically miles an hour. Um, when you would take when you would take slappers during games, did you ever have anybody either after a game or in practice a teammate say just tell you how much it hurts to to block one of your slap shots? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I. I'm sure. You, I'm, I'm sure the, at times you could see how much it hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> but did you ever have anyone tell you? One of the dubious honors of playing for seven teams is you get to know a lot of guys around the league. And then you'd kind of reconnect with guys, uh, a few guys who's like, yeah, I, you might not have known this, but you broke my ankle one time. Yeah, you might not have known this. Like, well, remember Billy McCult, right, who was in the Ashen trade. Um, when he went to Ottawa, I remember hitting him, and I played with Billy in Vancouver, so I knew him pretty well. And he stuck his leg out the last minute, and I hit him. And I think he had, like, internal vein damage and missed, you know, months. Like, it was just um, – you know, the crazy thing back then, not everybody blocked shots. You know, as now, I don't care if you're Barzal, if you're the, you know, the toughest guy, Zizekas, whatever, who you are, everybody has to block shots. But back then, you could almost count on one hand who would actually get in front of your shots because you had the, you know, the Al McKinnises and the Prongers and these guys. That's, that's what we would do is just tee it up. Um, but, yeah, and then, unfortunately, I hit some of my own teammates a few times, which – Luckily, I didn't, you know, didn't happen very often. And that's, you know, someone like Mark Parrish, I, I give so much credit because he would stand in front of the net and just like tip those shots that were coming 103 miles per hour with ease. It's, it's such a skill and you had to have so much courage to do what players like that did. A couple of notes that we got from Twitter when I mentioned you were coming on the show. Uh, Howie Rose said that Adrian Acoin uh, could take a regular shift with the Dynasty team. You know, let's face it, won 19 straight playoff series. So a nice compliment there. And a fan wanted to make sure that I asked you uh, who is your favorite, who is the funniest teammate? I imagine it's probably like a tie for seven, but who's your funniest teammate? Well, there's lots of funny guys, obviously. Well, so first of all, Howie was awesome. I think when I was there, we had Kinger, um, Howie, and then Joe Micheletti. They were class active i'm telling you they were the best it's not to say that there isn't awesome guys on the other teams i've played for but those guys were truly salt of the earth um well funny i mean there's sean bates funny you know like goofball sometimes doesn't even know what state or city he's in or maybe the city he's in he thinks it's a different state or he doesn't even know geographically where what cities are in which states um then you had Gar Snow funny, who was super sarcastic, and I appreciate that, but if you crossed him the wrong way, it would turn from sarcasm to honesty, and then sometimes it hurt and it cut deep. Um, you know, like I said, I was roommates with uh, Kernsey, and sometimes he was like my little puppy that would follow me around, and he'd just gotten married, so everything was new to him, so it would be question after question after question. Um, and then another type of funny was like a guy like Marius Tchaikovsky, right? Who was literally like he was the Polish prince. I, you know, I'd like to tell my buddies this story all the time. So we're 
we're on the bus in LA and I can't remember his ex-wife's name, but I think she was an actress and she was a beautiful woman. Isabella Skarupko. She was a, she yes, was a Bond girl in one absolutely. of the Bond movies. So sad that I remember that, but I had trouble amazing. remembering, I had trouble remembering Dickie Tarnstrom. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why. Uh, so we're in LA. He's talking to her. He gets back on the bus and I think it was a couple of young guys who are like, you know, his nickname was Chow. They're like, Chow, how, how are you still not married to her? And, you know, I'll give you, I, I am part Polish, so I can throw a little bit of a Polish accent in there. And he's like, you know, kids, you know how, you know, you're married and you have family and you like to have backyard barbecue with neighbors. And we're like, yeah, yeah, like, I, I actually love that. He goes, well, I don't. I like to go to, like, Saint-Tropez and I like to have fun. I like to live my life. And I was like, oh, all right. You know, he was, he, I, I tell everybody, he literally was like having a rock star on your team, but he was such a good player and a good guy, and he's always fun to have around. He was the best, actually. I, I got to track him down and have him on the show. Um, 28 minutes, 54 seconds, 29 minutes, and one second. Somehow, you must have played a lot that last game to get you over 29 minutes. Almost 27 minutes, your third season. How did that come to be? What was it like? And now I look back cynically and think, were, were Milbury, Lavi, Charles, was everybody thinking, you know, we don't know how long we're going to have this guy, so we're going to play him every freaking minute we can? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I could go either way with the last part of that. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's ironic because when I got there, I only knew Lavi because I played against him. He was the captain of the 94 U.S. Olympic team. I was on the Canadian Olympic team. Um, so we played against each other and then a little bit in the minors. And, uh, so when I got there, like anywhere else, I had to prove myself And the first, you know, I might be off with the amount of time or whatever, but the first game of the year, I really didn't play that much. And it might've been the second game of the year. Kevin Haller was actually playing quite a few minutes. And you know what? I grew up watching Kevin Haller. He's not that much older than me, but I remember him playing for the Habs and I loved him and he hurt his groin and I don't think he ever played again. And it was it, I probably went from like 13 minutes to like 15 minutes. All of a sudden I played better and I went to 17 minutes. It was a course of maybe two weeks of games. So let's say five to seven games or whatever it was. And I, and I built up those minutes in all those games and all of a sudden it just kind of happened. And luckily the more I played, the better I played. And let's not kid ourselves. I don't think any player could do that. And I'm not saying because I was super special, but Back then, there was way less skating involved. You know, there was bigger guys, and it was a little tougher. So you would lock on with a guy in front of the net, and sometimes you'd have a 40-second shift where you really didn't have to move around as much. Now the kids are so athletic and so fast. I mean, there's a reason why after the lockout, I kept tearing my groin all the time because I couldn't keep up with these young guys. But um, for some reason, it just seemed to – obviously, it helps with your confidence, right? Even if you have a bad shift, you just get back on the ice again, you're ready to go. And it worked. And we, you know, we had some forwards that played a lot of minutes. We had some, you know, us four defensemen played a lot. Um, and it, it, it was so much fun. I mean, like I said, those, those years in the Island were, were some of obviously my best years in hockey, but some great memories. Seeing how the Islanders closed out the Coliseum uh, in, in victorious fashion, winning that last game against Tampa, yep. and hearing how loud it was, uh, did it bring you back to the Bates penalty shot, the Toronto series, the top moments that you had at the Coliseum, and, and how did that all feel? Yeah, well, I, I 
probably talk of, you know, even we talked about, you know, maybe trying to get some guys back together to reminisce about those years. And it's crazy because we have so many good memories and it's not like we were a dynasty. We didn't even win a playoff series and we still have so many good memories just because of the, you know, the quick turnaround from the previous few years. Um, but I do talk a lot about that Toronto series. It was easily the most fun hockey I've ever played in my life. It was probably the most vicious hockey that we've ever been with me. You know, obviously, like I said, in the eighties, when the Isles were playing, you see some highlights, it's crazy. Um, but it was fun hockey and even taking Batesy's penalty shot out of it. There was a time before, I believe it was, did we, we played game seven at home, right? I can't, or were we game on the seven road? was in Toronto. We won okay, all so, the home games and then so they won. Game six, yeah. Yeah. So game six at home before the game even started, our locker room was actually shaking and we were, you know, it like gives me goosebumps even talking about it now. It was the game hadn't even started yet. And the entire building was like rocking and, you know, it's a concrete building and we're in the basement. So I don't even know how that's possible, but it was, it was outstanding. And of course, as we know, the amenities from that building aren't great, but there really aren't any bad seats in the house. And it was so much fun playing with a lower roof, a little smaller crowd, but packed every night. It was, it was awesome. Isn't it, it's kind of hard to believe, and thanks for sharing that, Adrian. It's hard to believe that you think of what that locker room was like 20 years ago. Yeah. You probably remember what the visiting team locker room was like. Oh, yeah. No better than Kaniac Park or, you know, oh. some rank you're and yep. they and they only just moved into a new arena this year. It's unbelievable. Like it truly, like you think. So now, you know, I have the luxury. Like my oldest, because I see all these rinks coaching my kids. My oldest boy's playing for Harvard. He's a freshman there. So we did all the college tours and these college rinks. You know, I try to. You know, a lot of the parents. I end up coaching the parents more than the kids. Let's just put it that way, right? And I explain to them, most of your kids the best rink they will ever see in their lifetime will be the college rinks. Because even if they go pro, you go to some of these minor league rinks and some of the rinks that I played in, of course, now things are changing and there's a lot more money. These buildings are mega buildings, but you know, to even so 2000, like when I get to the Islanders, remember we were in Syosset. Remember the gym was in back of the rink. It was a trailer and they had that one universal gym and maybe one bike. And that was it. And people like, in the NHL. And they're like, yeah, but that was back in the seventies. I'm like, it was in the two thousands. I'm like, Come on, it really wasn't that long ago. And it's just amazing how things have changed. And my last one in the spirit of, uh, of our beautiful friend, um, and hero Clark Gillies, I do want to ask you, you alluded to it again before about your family and what the Island meant, but you know, can you share either some specific memories about favorite things that you'd like to do away from the rink, either with your wife, uh, at the golf clubs, uh, the restaurants, you know, what, what comes to mind when I bring that up? Well, you know, I think honestly, one of the best years of my career, and it's kind of crazy. Like I said, I didn't win any Stanley cups was that 2004 lockout. We lived in long Island. We got to spend you know, like I, uh, my uh, youngest daughter, so my third child, was just born. So I spent almost an entire year with her. I ended up going to Sweden to play for a couple months. Um, but we really got to know all the neighbors, the neighborhood. We got to enjoy, like you said, the things that Long Island truly like brought, like the golf courses. We'd go to the beach. Um, we'd go into the city. And it was nice. And, 
you know, everybody loves New York City, but it's nice to have it at arm's length where you can still get home back to the island. Um, we lived in Garden City, and I, I still keep in touch with a bunch of neighbors there. I actually still play fantasy football with all my Garden City neighbors every year. It's crazy. And, um, you know, obviously, like I said, some of my teammates are still there. They're still either working for the team or retired there. Um, it truly was like a one of the best experiences of my life. The uh, Pat, this is a true story. Adrian might not even believe it, but, and, and he might not even recall it, but Adrian is the only player I worked with in all my years who, when he was going to become a free agent after what would have been his last season, I should point out he paid 1,108 NHL regular season games, and that's with an entire season blown out because of a lockout. But Adrian's the only guy that, for some reason, something came over me, and I said, would you please meet me at Vincent's because I'd yeah. love to talk. And I, ha- I, I, I said, look, you're probably going to get offered millions more than my other teams, yeah. but on the odd chance that you don't or that if the margin isn't too big, consider sticking around one because i like you so it's totally selfish you're great with the media also selfish um but we like you here and i know you like it here so uh, oh we loved it we i do remember that you know the funny not so funny like but the year before the lockout before i came a free agency i think i might have actually told the story on a podcast at some point i went to arbitration with with mike milbury and we had talked, and I had a great, I had a, I had an awesome relationship with Mike. He lived um, a few blocks over. I would see him. I think our kids went to the same preschool, so I'd see him there all the time. And I know he was crazy with his antics, but off the ice, I, I loved him. We had, like I said, so about 15 minutes before our arbitration started, him and I got together, and we actually worked a deal out a four-year deal. And I was so excited, and I think he was actually even more excited. And he called Charles, the late, great Charles Wong, and Charles was like, no, you're already at arbitration. You might as well just go. And I remember I didn't hear him say that. I saw Mike's jaw drop, and Mike said, yeah, we still have to go arbitration, and we were both devastated. And I ended up getting a one-year deal. The season never happened. And then it was kind of, you know, I think the writing was on the wall, and I was – I was truly bummed that it didn't work out because, you know, even family, everything, you know, but more specifically career-wise, the island was where everything really happened for me. So it was, it was definitely a bummer. But Oh, man. I didn't, I I know. didn't, I didn't know that. We, we, you know, yeah. I, gotta, I just got to ask you, like, please tell, tell me a funny Karenzy or Batesy or somebody's story. We got we to gotta end on a happier <laughs> note than that, Oki. Well, yes. Okay. So good story. Um so living in Garden City, probably on a one block over, two two blocks up, Karen Z, Mark Parrish, Steve Webb, and Sean Bates all lived together. And as you know, Garden City is a very family-oriented neighborhood, so they were kind of like black sheep in there. It was pretty funny. The house they rented. The, t- the TV crew did a feature on them oh, trying God. to live together. Oh, God. Their house was a living room, a kitchen, and four bedrooms. There was nothing else in there. They used to come over. They would buy steaks, come over to my house, and I would grill them up. And they would, you know, do airplane rides with my kids and have a few drinks. And then, obviously, after a few too many, I'd be like, okay, time to go home, put my children down. But a few times, I would walk my daughter or my son at the time and go over to their house. And my wife would not let me bring them into their house because if you could see what their carpet looked like, 
it was it could be it could be in the Hall of Fame actually. It was their house. I think they had three George Foreman girls that maybe never even got used. Um, their door was broken down at least four or five times because they'd come home from road trips and they forgot their keys. Remember, they had to break their garage door down. And tell, like, it was just, and it was like four of my best teammates. And it's that's that was part of our culture with that team. You know, it's everybody had their little role. It was truly amazing. That is just amazing. You said it. I had forgotten about it, but yeah, I mean, and they had enough guys to choose from who could knock the door down. But that was the yeah. solution. We'll, we'll just we'll just knock it down and worry yeah. about it. We'll worry yeah. about it after practice the next day. Or something. Yeah, yeah, very amazing. simple. Adrian, thanks so much for doing this. But I'm just, you were just awesome, and it's great to catch up. I know we're going to keep on talking, but uh, this meant the world for you to give us over a half an hour tonight. This is really great. Thank you. All right. No, thank you, guys. It was terrific. All right, another Islanders four-check in the books. A huge thanks again to Adrian Acoin for hopping on and spending some time with us. And for everybody here on the entire Press Pass family, Ksenia, Danny, Chris, and myself, Pat Boyle, We thank you so much for listening as always. We'll see you next week on a new episode of Hockey Press Pass. And one more time, rest in peace to the Islanders legend, Clark Gillies.